I, uh, it was really interesting, actually, um, uh, Shirley sharing her um, picture this morning of, of the river, because I drove over the, the bridge, Longholm Bridge, this morning, and I saw exactly that. And um, as I was driving, I was, I was really conscious that actually Bedford, the river, um, the embankment part of the river is not actually the river. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an ornamental part of the river that we get to enjoy and walk down, but it's not actually the river. The river runs further south than that and around the back of the, um, uh, around the, back of the actual embankment part of the river. And in between as well, there's a, there's a boating lake, you know, the Dragon, the dragon Lake. Uh, it's got dragon boats on it, that's why it's called Dragon Lake. Um, and this morning, uh, you could see that the, uh, the embankment part of the river was flowing into the boating lake, and the boating lake was flowing, uh, overflowing back into the river that run, ran around the back. And, uh, uh, and it, it kind of just provoked me in that actually, no matter how much we try and contain uh, God, and contain God's love for us, um, it will always want to overflow um, in us and through us and out into the world. And that's a great picture, and I'm glad you shared that because I was going to share that. And then Jess, it wasn't planned, Jess had that amazing song as well that um, we got to sing. So isn't God good? Isn't he good? I love the way he kind of uh, tees you up for his word, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm right, right there with, uh, uh, with, with all that, the, the, the stuff about the river and the, uh, and the, and the overflowing of his love. It's great. So we're, um, we're beginning our new series um, today. Uh, Richard's uh, strangely um, preaching the first part of it. I'm preaching technically the second part, and I'm, we're swapping over and... Um, uh, you'll get Richards next week, and I'm up at North next week um, sharing my bit. Um, but we're, we're, we're starting our new series on, um, entitled Death, Resurrection, and Revival. Um, it's, uh, uh, we're looking into the Gospel of uh, John from chapter 13 onwards for a number of weeks. And it's part of our a journey finding out as the people of God, what it means to live in uh, a revival culture, live preparing for God's revival to break out. So um, our passage uh, this morning is um, John 13, 31 uh, to 35, if you want to find that in your Bibles. This is the moment... um, where Judas has just left the room. And um, they're in the upper room, and Jesus is about to address the rest of the, the remaining disciples in the room. So this is it. A new commandment. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God is also glorified in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, 
Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He says that twice, and when you get something in the Bible that's twice, it's really important. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. I want to I want to preface this uh, uh, this preach this morning actually with just an acknowledgement uh, of who we are as a family here um, at South. I'm incredibly proud of each and every one of you. The way that you uh, do life together, that you love one another. I love that. And such a courageous thing to do. And bless her for it. Um, Jen sharing this morning about having a tough time last week. And she could get on the, the phone and gather um, some prayers together, gather her sisters together, and to get to pray for that. And God did amazing things as a result. And um, uh, that's one of many, many, many things that goes on um, in this, this church family here that I know of. Maybe not so many of you know of it, but I know of a lot of stuff that goes on where there's unconditional love and there's sacrificial love and there's um, love for one another that's quite extraordinary. So let me encourage you with that. Let me... Um, we're we're going to be talking about um, uh, the way that we love again this morning and we still get to journey uh, into that and find out what that's all about and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But I want to start by saying well done. Well done uh, All Nations South for the way that you do that so well and, and with guests as well. You know, I get so many comments of how we, uh, we make people feel instantly at home when they come through our doors. So thank you for that. Well done for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's get into into God's words. So our verses this morning paint a scene for us where the three-year earthly ministry of Christ is focused down now um, into a small upper room, a two-story building in Jerusalem. And here an intimate meal is underway with his closest friends. This room often um, described historically uh, by commentators as the room of love, is in fact as intimate as it gets. Jesus had planned this moment to be like this. Back in verse 1 of this chapter, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. I love that. He loved them to the end. This is Jesus at his most tender and loving. He then goes on to wash their feet, including Judas, who would later set in motion that same evening Jesus' execution and death. What's most extraordinary as he, as, uh, is that he washes the feet of Judas with the same depth of love he shows to each and every one of his other disciples. Extraordinary. Jesus pours himself out in perfect love over what is still a ragtag bunch of doubters, deniers, self-promoters, and of course, most shocking of all, a traitor. Our passage this morning opens uh, at the moment Judas, who is now named, departs the room to carry out his betrayal. It's at this moment for Jesus, the tension in the room is broken. I don't know if you've ever been in a room where there's somebody in the room that sets the tone and it's awkward and it's difficult. And the moment that they leave, suddenly the atmosphere in the room changes and there's this, oh. and this was a moment for Jesus. Jesus is no longer having to bear to look into the face of a man who he has deeply loved as a brother for three years, but has now brutally and callously turned his back on him. Despite loving Judas to the end, with terrible heartache, he's had to release him into the darkness of his sin. Jesus is now able to take that deep sigh of relief and declare, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. It's now through the treachery of Judas, the touch paper is about to be lit so that the Son of Man can be glorified in the Father and the Father can be glorified in the Him. Somehow through an act of abominable sin, through what will turn out to be a benign attempt to, to subdue and overflow the glory of Christ, Christ is now set on an unstoppable path to his final and absolute glory, his total fulfillment in the purposes of God. Here we get to see in a heartbeat a demonstration of how the horror of a moment of darkness gets swallowed up and extinguished to become a counter moment of brilliant light and hope in Christ. A truth by the way that we get to set very firmly into the foundations of our life, don't we? Jesus will have wanted his friends and his brothers in the room to know that despite and because of the bombshell of Judas, his plan for glory is now accelerated. Salvation and the light and hope for this world is coming. It's now unstoppable and inevitable. Jesus is loving them to the end. Regardless of their shortcomings, this faltering band of brothers 
barely hanging together. Thomas the doubter, Peter the denier, even John is sat there uh, resting his head on the chest of Jesus just like a little boy. Despite this, Jesus knows he needs to gather them up, somehow bind them together with some strength and courage because the toughest moment is about to come. But he doesn't deliver it with a heavy hand. He doesn't say, come on guys, pull yourself together, you've got a job to do. It's gonna be tough. The worst is yet to come. So you need to dig deep and buckle up. No, no, no. Instead, again, loving them to the end, he says, little children. Isn't that beautiful? Little children. He doesn't say, listen up, attention. He says, little children. This is not a patronizing term, but a moment of perfect affection. Jesus chooses these words deliberately because they're words that a father would say. Jesus is wanting them to know that it's not only uh, him, but the Father is about to address them. God is present in the room and about to speak. This is a time to listen very carefully. Little children, yet yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, just as you said to the Jews. Just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love. one another he's saying things are about to change and you need to prepare yourselves for it the dynamic of this little band of brothers is about to dramatically alter you're now not going to be recognizable because of the person who walks among you following my physical presence will not be the mark of your discipleship anymore Instead, your standard and what you will be known for as followers of and disciples of Christ will now be determined by the way that you love one another. So I'm giving you a new commandment. Never before has Jesus used this particular phrase. In fact, it's not used again at all in the New Testament. I'm giving you a new commandment commandment to love one another as I have loved you. When my physical presence is gone, if you continue by loving one another with the same love I have shown you, the people of this world will still know who you are. Love now needs to change. Love now needs to grow a whole new dimension. A new radical love 
turned inward in its expression that will now carry the outward flowing hope of the gospel to the hearts of men, to the ends of the earth. But what's new about this love? What's new about this love? Surely the command to love has already been given. Back in Leviticus 19, verse 18, it commands us, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's new? Is that now not enough? To love your neighbor? No, it's not. I believe that the answer to this lies in three key phases in this passage. One another, as I have loved you, and, and now by this. We're going to look at those. What's now to become new about this love is that it's about to change in three very radical ways in its object, by its measure, and by its identification. First of all, by its object, one another. The phrase radical love can get a, a little bit overused, can't it, in Christian conversations. We say it, we say it at the drop of a hat nowadays. Um, radical love, God's radical love. It's becoming perhaps a bit of a cliche. Hopefully not. Because often it gets used in the wrong context. It's a phrase uh, like radical love that needs to be used for such a commandment as this. You see, the world that Jesus speaks this commandment into is rotten to the core. The old uh, Mosaic commandment to love thy neighbor had allowed the Jews to water it down to a point where they could choose who to love and who to hate. This meant that Jesus was speaking into a world so divided by prejudice and hatred that it would make this world pale into insignificance in, in comparison. The object of this new commandment needed a new home. It needed a place to grow where the disease and prejudice of the world, the hate and the division, were to be kept out. A place of purity. A righteous and fertile place where the gospel of Christ could grow and gloriously shine out from. Love thy neighbor as, the, as yourself was no longer enough. It was now needing to be love one another in the radical way. I have loved you. It was this love that was now going to be to set the world alight. It was going to be this love that stops the world in its tracks to ask, why are these people so different? 
the 19th century sermon writer Alexander McLaren wrote this about the consequences of this new commandment. He says, barbarian, Scythian, bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, sat down at one table and felt themselves all one in Christ. They were ready to break all other bonds and to yield to the uniting forces that streamed out from the cross. Wow. There had never been anything like it. No wonder that the world began to babble about sorcery and conspiracies and complicity in unnameable vices. It was only that the disciples were obeying the new commandment. A new thing had come into the world. A community held together by love and not by geographical accidents or linguistic affinities or the iron fetters of the conqueror. The new commandment made a new thing and the world was caught up in wonder. So reality check. Is that how the world is gazing in on us right now? Would it be that the world looks in on us as they come through the doors of our buildings and our homes, as we go through the doors of theirs, as we step in, onto the streets, as we stand as a solitary Christian presence in our workplaces, our schools, and among our peer groups and our families? Would this be the love? Would this be the way that we love one another with a love that stops them in their tracks with the very same wonder? Would this be us? We are now the primary object of Jesus' new commandment to love. We are, the we are to first love one another. Secondly, it's, uh, it's different in its measure. Love as I have loved you. What's changed too with this new commandment is its measure. Love as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, even though I'm no longer going to be physically with you, I'm leaving behind an astonishing resume an unfinished back catalogue of outstanding example. An example that will never be matched, will never be able to match it. But it will stand as your reference point in loving one another. It's going to be this body of work you will need to turn to when everything in you is saying, I can't do it and I don't know how. but it's a measure of love that will demand everything. Because if his measure was everything, and he's now saying, 
love as I loved you, then our measure too is surely everything. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. But if it's, it's his measure of love that is everything, he's now saying, love as I have loved you, then your measure too has surely got to be everything. Are we ready for that? Really? Everything? I tried to find a workaround for that, but I don't think it's there, sorry. Let's not kid ourselves. To love one another the way that he loved us will come at great cost. We'll want to strip away our prejudices of racial, political, intellectual, economic, gender. We will want to strip away our grievances, our cynicism, our gossiping, our backstabbing, and our dishonouring of one another. We will want to clear out our relationships of pride and self-promotion. We will want to deal with our exclusiveness and our tendency to clique. He will want to hold us to account for our stubbornness, our jealousy, our betrayals, and our hate. This new one another love has no room for such things anymore. Instead, it demands a purity of heart and a sacrificial response. Further on in John 15, it says this, greater love than no man, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what happened in the upper room that night. And then again, the next morning. You see, this measure of love that continually says, you before me, and postures us before our brothers and sisters, not as enemies or rivals, but as loving, selfless servants to one another's lives. This is the measure of this new love. Lastly, <clears throat> identification. And now by this love. What's new again about our commandment is that our identification will change. Not our identity, that's something altogether different. But our identification will also be what gets to define us should we choose to love in this way. Jesus says, and now by this love, you will be known to the world. But you know, we're not meant to be just imitators of Christ. In many respects, the world can do that really well, can't they? The world can love and serve. There's kindness out there. There's one anothering. There's even sacrificial love. 
I've seen it. I see it a lot, actually. I know it's out there. And I'm guessing many of you know it's out there too and I've experienced it too. So what is it that sets us apart in the way we love one another? What is it about our love that will make the world stop in wonder? Well, I guess it could be our diversity. Look at us. It's great, isn't it? so diverse. I love it. You're my family. It's great. I'm sure it's a unique thing to find a loving community from across all social and racial divides, bound together by the common bond of Christ. It's still unusual in this world. But you know what? I'm convinced that the more that we continue to love in the way that love that Jesus showed us to love, our diversity will get greater. We'll gather more and more nations, more and more um, divides will get broken down between us and we'll see a great cross-section of, uh, of our communities. I'm really looking forward to that. But you know what I think is something even more significant than that. If we're going to need to be more than just imitators of Christ in order to capture the attention of all people, it has to be loving one another whilst plugged into the very source of that love. It has to be a love that is permanently connected to the love as I have loved, love. Jesus is not saying, I'm leaving you to go to a place where you cannot come. I've shown you how to do it. Just get on with it. And if you do it well, maybe the world will will get caught up in your attention. But why would he say that? Why would he say that when he then goes on to say in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The vine doesn't... Uh, look down upon the withering branch lying on the ground and tell it to bear much fruit. It doesn't tell it to look up at the other fruit and say, look like that. It's saying, graft yourself into the vine, into the very love, uh, life and love of Christ. Because only then will you genuinely look like me, sound like me, Give yourselves away like me and love like me. Prophetic picture we, that was shared um, the other evening at one of our uh, prayer times was of a book with a very attractive front cover 
one of these dust jackets that publishers sort of over-elaborate with in order to get us to buy the book. The picture was a challenge for us to make sure that what looks good on the outside has got to be matched by the depth and substance of the inside. As we love one another, we're not called to be mainly imitators of Christ, to look good on the cover. We're called more crucially to be participators in Christ. Graftees and fruit bearers of the vine. Because it will be this that sets us apart and identifies us to the world as disciples of Christ Jesus. And best of all, we're given a unique instruction as to where we get to graft ourselves in. Earlier in chapter 14, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot, cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. It's to be the person of the Holy Spirit that not only demonstrates and binds us together with the perfect love of Jesus, but he also umbilicals us. I know that's not a, word, a verb, okay? I'm just painting a picture. He gets to umbilical us to the life source that flows from it. It's going to be the person of the Holy Spirit that purifies our love for one another and plugs us into the source in order that we become not just imitators but participators in the love of Christ. Why don't we stand? I'd just like to um, take a few moments to read the words of, uh, again of uh, my words um, earlier on in, in, my, in, my, in my talk. And I know it's not... Uh, uh, can, you put, can you put that up, um, Vicky? Can you put the next one up? There we go. I'd, I'd like us just to kind of just um, take some time with this. Um, I'd like us to take some time just to read it through, maybe to read it through twice. We've got, we've got time, don't worry. Um, why don't we do that? Let's read it through. Let's not kid ourselves. <clears throat> To love one another the way he loved us will come at great cost. 
who will want to strip away our prejudices, racial, political, intellectual, economic, and gender, who will want to strip away our grievances, our cynicism, our gossiping, our backstabbing and our dishonoring of one another, who will want to clear out of our relationships pride and self-promotion, who will want to deal with our exclusiveness and our tendency to clique, who want to hold us to account for our stubbornness, our jealousy, our betrayals, and our hate. Of course, we, we have to read something like this, knowing that we absolutely stand in the grace and mercy of God. That's, that's a given. But we know that we know that we've got a loving God who wants to, at times, deal with some of the things that are not of Him. Some of the things about our relationships and the way that we love one another that are just not right. They don't fit this new commandment, this new pattern to love one another. And. You know what, there's a few on that list that I know I need to put right with uh, before God this morning. But I know I'm not on my, on my own with that. So if that's you, if there's anything that you've read and something of the Spirit has just kind of stopped you for a moment and said, come on, let's, let's deal with that. Let's get that sorted this is a moment. Sometimes there are moments where we just have to respond and we just have to say, okay, let me deal with that. And I'm going to give you that opportunity now. I want to just ask anybody who wants to join me at the front. Um, we'll get to pray. Um, I'm not going to pray over anybody necessarily, but I think we'll just gather at the front as a family and let's deal with some of this before God this morning. So can we do that? It'd be great if we can, you know, just take this moment, take this opportunity to do that. They were ready to break all other bonds and yield to the uniting forces that streamed out from the cross. There had never been anything like it. A new thing had come into the world, a community held together by love. The new commandment had made a new thing and the world was caught up in wonder. Holy Spirit, come now and show us again how we get to love like this. Holy Spirit, come and help us with this. Come and clear out of our lives anything that doesn't look like this. Come and show us how we get to ways in which we get to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How we get to say you before me on a daily basis. 
I just want to say, Holy Spirit, if we grieved you in any way, where we've fallen short of your plan to love, we want to say we're so sorry. We're so sorry, Lord. Would you help us deal with that sin right now? In Jesus' name. We give that over to you, Holy Spirit. Come and prepare our hearts for revival. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, come and do that. Plug them into yours, into your radical love, Jesus. Would we be connected together in that extraordinary way? in a way that then gets to cause the world to watch in wonder. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you don't leave us to our lives and our shortfalls, but that you want to come and deal with that. Pray, come and do that now, Holy Spirit. Amen.